Well, good morning, everyone. Nice, y'all ready to roll, I hear you. Uh, we are uh, in the middle of a three-week series. This is probably important to those of you who are fairly new to fellowship. 98% of the time, we teach through entire books of the Bible. We just spent a over a year in the book of Hebrews, and we'll start that back up at the end of August. But we wanted to take a three-week uh, deal here and do a series uh, called Clarity as we look at our identity, biblical identity. Last week, Monty did a sermon on the image of God where you and I are created as the very crown jewel of the living God's creation. And uh, if you did not see that, man, I want to encourage you to go check it out. It's crucial to your understanding what we're going to speak about this morning, which is the biblical, clear look at what it means to be male and female. And let me say on the front end that there's not one person in this room, myself included, who gets this we all struggle in a thousand ways at what it means to be male and female, biblically speaking. And yet at the same time, our culture has taken a turn where they are moving not closer to God's ideal design for male and female. Uh, they are moving away. And so I want to make some uh, observations and state some facts about our, what's going on. Carl Truman, the theologian and author that uh, his book is referenced, one of his books is referenced in the additional resources there, uh, uh, which all of these resources are phenomenal. Uh, he says this, we are living in a strange new world. Can you say amen to that? In the sense that the questions that just five years ago uh, that we would be asking what is a man and what is a woman seem to be unanswerable in our day. Over the last five years, there's been a 4,000% increase in teens saying they were born in the wrong body. On June 9th, Cover Time magazine had a picture of a Laverne Cox who was born a boy who's now living as a girl, affirming that as okay. Title IX, a, a government uh, policy, is now saying that your daughter could have to room with a man in her college dorm. There's an incredible documentary out, it's about an hour and a half long, called What is a Woman? by journalist Matt Wash. If you haven't seen it, I want to encourage you to pay the $14.95 for a month and watch it. It's phenomenal in the sense that he interviews. They don't know who he is. He's just asking the question, what is a woman? And the leading medical and psychological experts could not answer the question. New York Times this week wrote an article giving guidance on chest feeding for men. Schools and churches are inviting drag queens to do shows for elementary age kids. And the, the disheartening part is their parents are taking them to these shows. This, this week, Portland Public Schools are now injecting what they call academic queer theory into its elementary curriculum, making the statement that girls can indeed have male parts and males can have female parts. 
academic scholars are now saying publicly uh, that pedophilia is now legitimate sexual orientation that should be accepted by our society. Uh, there's something that has come up recently called, we know all the pronouns that are out there, the, the use is limitless, but there's a new one that's popped up recently called furries, in which you can identify as any animal of your choice. Many of you know this, a man swimmer won the women's NCAA championship and was affirmed by our culture in that. And I think one of the most brokenheartedness or I felt brokenhearted reading this. A father in Canada did not agree with his 13-year-old daughters to transition to a male. And uh, because of that, he was labeled as evil, put in jail, and the judge, over the father's objections, mandated the girl be given hormones. And then lastly, same-sex marriage has been normalized to the extent that you say that it's, that you have a different opinion about it, you are labeled as extreme and evil. Having said all that, let me remind us very clear. The history of the church shows that God's people have been very inconsistent when it comes to how male and female relate to one another and how they serve in the church and how husbands and wives treat each other. I am guilty, you are guilty. We need a biblical understanding of male and female. At the same time, we need this, this grasp, this great grasp, if you would, of how to respond to this strange new world with both conviction, biblical conviction and clarity, as well as compassion. So I want to beg you this morning, as John Piper says, this is, not a, this is a front burner issue. And I do not want you to be unaware of what's going on in the world and naive. And I do not want you to be unaware of your and my issues where we need to grow and change in the area of biblical male and femaleness. Amen? Okay. So in light of that, <clears throat> we're going to look at male and female. And the first point, they are vice regents. <clears throat> if you have your Bible or your phone Bible, the true Bible or fake Bible, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> turn with me to Genesis 1, uh, verses 26 through 28. <clears throat> then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves <clears throat> on earth. Carl Truman, again, we're quoting him, but he said that Genesis 1.27 about people created male and female has now become hate speech by the world. But to us, Christ followers, who have been extended grace and mercy, it is for us the authority and the sufficiency 
to give clarity to what it means to be male and female. I've heard it said that all good theology starts in the first two chapters of Genesis because in these two chapters, God gives us this stunning picture of paradise, the, things, the way things were, the way things are supposed to be, and the way things will be again when Christ returns. These two chapters, if you would, are giving us a biblical blueprint. Every house that you build has a what? Blueprint. And we are to follow it to a T. Verse 26 tells us God announces his intention to make man. One writer put it this way. It's a divine fanfare where the God of the universe decides to share his unique glory, image, and rule with a mere creature. What a delight. Monty spoke about that last week. Verse 27, line 1 of verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image, which tells us that we came from God. Our identity is given to us, not decided by us. Line 2 says, In the image of God he created them, that we bear a resemblance, certainly broken and shattered resemblance, but a resemblance to God himself. And then line 3 says that we were created male and female, he created them. Which tells us this, that every person who has ever lived has either been created male or female, nothing else. And both me, male and female display the glory of God's image with equal, underline that, ladies, equal brilliance. Also in the context of these three verses, we see the creative, glorious work of a triune God, of the Trinity, where God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit were working in unison to create man as male and female. Look at verse 26, it says, let us, plural, make man. And then after our plural, likeness. Also in verse 26 and 28, verse 28, God authorizes male and female together to carry out their mission to rule the rest of creation. Here's how scholar and theologian D.A. Carson puts it. He said, man was created a royalty in God's world. Male and female alike, bearing the divine glory equally and now are commanded by God to together, that's crucial, be his vice regents over all the creation. Now, I don't know about you, but you probably haven't used the word vice regent in the last few weeks in your normal conversation, right? So what is a vice regent? A vice regent is simply one who acts under the authority of the king of a king or a sovereign. We are God's vice regent. It is telling us that even before sin enters the world, God's creation has a need to be governed or harnessed for its massive potential to the glory of the one who made it. So we have male and female vice regents. And then verse 28 was God's first command to Adam and Eve. The words are, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The emphasis in the Old Testament is about physical reproduction. 
although the family unit, male and female coming together, was God's smallest but greatest battlefield in which he would launch a people for himself that obeyed him. That mom and dad were coming together, would have children, they would raise those children in the ways of the Lord, and those children would rise up and get married and have children and do the same. But the New Testament says the very same thing, but it, it re-emphasizes the spiritual reproduction, meaning you can certainly raise your family or be single, but you can have spiritual reproduction where you pour your life into another and raise up children in the family of God. <clears throat> Owen Strachan, uh, who is becoming, uh, I've so enjoyed reading several of his books over the last few months. Uh, again, I have the resources. Please take advantage of that. Uh, great theologian, pastor. He's, and it says in his book, Reenchanting Humanity. While our world tells us that man evolved from eons old combustible gases, has no divine origin, has no creator who shapes the human person's identity, is not really distinct from the beast, no greater story or purpose, no ordained end to which we are traveling, no greater code of conduct, we're just here. We die, he says, we are eaten by worms into nothingness. Nothingness is whence we came. Nothingness is whither we go. So until then, we, the creature, create our own realities. We become who or what we want to be in order to honor I, me, or my. Where we determine our fate, and they're both the subject and the object and the judge. He says, God's response to that, and he uses a famous Hebrew word. It's hogwash. <laughs> Man, that's great stuff. Secondly, male and female, vice regent. Male and female as head and helper. Genesis 2, let me read this to us, 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gives names to all the livestock and to the birds and to the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, <clears throat> and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. <clears throat> and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. <clears throat> Male and female as head and helper. So <clears throat> the scriptures tell us there are men and there are women equally valued. 
spiritual equals, but they have different roles to play. That's crucial. So we ask the question, what is God's plan for men and women, for male and female, in singleness, in marriage, and in sexuality? In verse 2-7, tells us God made the man first from the dust of the ground, and he breathed life into him. <clears throat> in Genesis 2-15, it says Adam had a home and a God-given work to do in the garden. So a man was given work to do before sin entered the world, which means work is good. Some of y'all ain't saying amen to that, right? <laughs> Verse 16 and 17, God gives the man commands to obey. This is how I want you to live. Genesis 2.18 introduces to us man's need for a woman by identifying the man's aloneness is not good. Now, if you go back to the creation account, it tells us very clearly that God is speaking. And as he speaks, creation happens. The power of our God. So he says, let there be light. And his conclusion to himself is, it is good. Let there be trees. And his conclusion to himself is what? It is good. Let there be birds, specifically this gorgeous bird called the wild gobbler. <laughs> and it is very good. For those of you who are new, I'll tell you the inside joke there. You are looking at the greatest turkey hunter in America. Okay? <laughs> but we get to this, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he gets to the creation of man. And he says, it is not good. That's like putting the brakes on at 100 miles an hour. It is not good for man to be alone. He tells us Adam needs a helper who would join forces with him, if you would, to obey the Lord God and carry out his divine mission here on earth. Verses 19 and 20 says, there's a problem. And it is Adam didn't know he was alone. That sounds familiar, guys. We don't even know there's a problem. All the women are like, yep. <laughs> so God used Adam's naming of the animals to show him that every creature that God created had a partner, had a mate that was very much like the other but totally different. And in that, Adam recognizes that he does not have anyone that is both like him but different. I'm sure Adam had nothing against the hippo or the crocodile, but he's like, I don't want to be mated up with them, right? Verse 21 and 22 says, the Lord puts Adam into a deep sleep and he performs the first surgery in the history of the world and he creates the woman out of the rib, indicating equal worth. Women, put that down. Equal worth, value, significance. Verse 23, Adam wakes up and he shouts this song of praise. He says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Now, I don't remember much about Hebrew and seminary, but what I do remember is that that little song of praise by Adam had incredible exclamations around it. It was as if sirens were going off, firecrackers were going off. Adam's like, "Woo! that's what I'm talking about, dog. So he said, God, not dog. And he was excited. And here's the beautiful part. It says Adam was asleep. Adam, as God was creating Eve, take that out, wake him up. As God was creating Eve, he wasn't sitting there beside God sort of whispering, said, okay, uh, can you make her hair a little darker? Uh, uh, Can you make her 5'10 instead of 5'5? He wouldn't say, can you put something in her to make her love camouflage? He wasn't doing any of that. He was sound asleep. And here's why. Because God knew what Adam needed more than Adam knew what Adam needed. Amen to that, brother. This was the first blind date. The first. (laughs) Y'all are sharper than the first service. They didn't get that. The first wedding in Adam's response to Eve was profound. You are the only woman in the world for me. And she was. (laughs) The reality is, is Eve was God's gift to Adam. Mm. I mean, that in itself helps us relate to one another. Adam was God's gift to Eve. And then verse 23 says, Adam received Eve as a gift from God. And look, there was real tension going on there. If you look one chapter over, we see where it all fell apart. The question was, would Adam receive Eve as God's gift? And he did so because if he had rejected Eve, he would have also rejected God, who was the giver of the gift. Verse 24 tells us the man is told to leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they are now one flesh. That's why we do marriage. Here's the blueprint. In that, there are two roles to play. The man has the role of head, and the woman has the role of helper. And please, don't tune me out. There's clarity here for both male and female. The man, headship. Here's why. I could do five messages on this, but I need to do a summary. He was created first, the scriptures tell us. He is the one who is responsible for both the garden and for Eve. When everything fell apart and sin entered the world in Genesis 3, who did God come looking for? Adam. Adam, where are you? He knew where he was. It's like your kid trying to hide from you under the coffee table and his legs are sticking out, right? (laughs) Number three, Adam names his new bride. He gives her his name that he chooses. And four, Satan's attack that we see in Genesis 3 is the undermining or usurping of God's created order. God created man. It goes God, man, woman. 
Satan through the serpent comes along and reverses that. He does not approach God. He does not approach the woman. He goes straight for her. And he reverses the order to serpent, woman, God. So a godly man as head is to lead, protect, provide, and love his wife. If the home goes south, it's his fault. He will be held accountable for the spiritual environment in his home. Secondly, the woman as the helper. God designates the woman to be Adam's helper. The scriptures tell us it is alone, alone by herself. Eve is the one suitable for Adam, not just any woman. The word suitable comes from this Hebrew term indicating corresponding to. Adam, unlike the animals that did not correspond to him. Hebrew for helper is simply the one who comes alongside of to help those in need. Eve was to come alongside of Adam to complete him, and together they are to be about God's plan and purpose for all of life and marriage. I want to note here that helper is used to describe God and the Holy Spirit. Now, the reality is that God the Father and God the Son are both co-equal, fully God, yet they have different roles to play in the, in the Trinity, different roles to play in the three-person Trinity, in the Godhead. So a godly woman, we find out from Proverbs 31. She lives for God. She is a woman of great strength. It is a vivid picture the writer of Proverbs 31 makes of a God-centered helper for her husband. And her husband, it says, trust her, and her home is a refuge for her family. Yes, this woman may work outside the home to make money, but never at the detriment of hurting her family. This beautiful biblical theology of marriage is sadly hidden in a culture that attacks these biblical gender roles. And yet we see it is God's program for male and female. It is how male and female flourish according to the designer's design. Also, Scripture is clear that God does not call every believer to marry. Singleness, hear this single folks, is affirmed by God as honorable by Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 7. Jesus was never married. Paul was never married. Rahab, Mary Magdalene, Naomi, Anna, Martha, Lydia, and on, ongoing were never married. So we don't have to marry or have children to live out our male and femaleness and to be a part of the mission of God. The scriptures teach us that singleness, though, is a gift from God. It is a calling from God. Let him decide for you whether you're going to be single or married. He will let you know. He will give those desires in you fully with great clarity and certainly many conversations with believers you trust. 
And it is it allows a single Christian, both male and female, to devote himself or herself to the people and the purposes of God without the distractions, like in my house, three monster sons who drove us crazy, okay? <laughs> and I say that jokingly, but you get the picture. And this single person, to them, the church, community becomes their family. And it is in the church where they live out their call as male and female, as a man and as a woman. And then in terms of how male and female work in head and helper in the church, here's what I want you to hear biblically. What we believe, what we believe the scriptures teach is that a woman can do anything that a man can do. And all the women said, better. That's what they said, better. <laughs> they can do anything a man can do except be an elder. That is a role that is reserved for men only. And an elder gives oversight and leadership to that particular body of Christ. But even here, there's a kicker. And that is that Jesus Christ is the true spiritual head of his church. And both men and women are actually a part of the body or part of the bride of Christ. So we're all men and women, male and female, under the authority and headship of the Lord Jesus himself. So we have male and female vice regents. We have male and female head and helper. And then we have male and female conflict, control, and hope. I can't read to you uh, Genesis 3, 1 through 19. It is the chapter where sin enters the world, known as the fall, and it explains why living out our identity, our roles as male and female is so hard. Get that. You want to know why it's hard to relate to one another as male and female, to understand each other, to, to live out both as a believer here, okay, and our world, why it's so difficult, why there's been so much pain here. The reason is when sin enters, here's what happens. The man's headship is no longer protecting and loving and providing for his wife and family. Genesis 3 tells us it becomes domination or passivity. And there's not a man in this church, including me, who has not either dominated or been passive with his wife, one or other or both. And, and what's crazy for me is when I was at times dominating my wife, overbearing to her, not loving her as Christ loved the church, it seemed so right in the moment. I was so blind. And still am at times. With my wife, as it says, wife respects your husband. Jen and I spoke in 80 family life marriage conferences over the last 20 years. So we've repeated this message many times. But she would tell the women, when I disrespected my husband, it seemed so what? So right at the time. Genesis 3 also tells us 
But yes, Adam was passive. It's ungodly leadership. Do you remember when Eve took the fruit and went to take a bite? It wasn't as, as if Adam was far off working the land and providing for his family. Where does the scripture say in Genesis 3, 6? Where was he? He was right there. He saw her take it, and he never opened his mouth. He never said, honey, no, 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 no. We must obey God. That's how he did not leave his home. Also says he will work the ground in pain. The woman, on the other hand, says she will bear her children in pain. All the women said the Bible's true, right? And it says the woman will try to control her husband. You ever felt that, married folks? It's a battle for control. Further, we see where the man blames the woman and God. He literally says to God, it, it, was, it was the woman you gave me. The gift turned into a curse. So true for about the third day on your honeymoon. Who are you? Further, we see where the man blames the woman, yes, and the woman blames the serpent. No one takes responsibility. So what was this beautiful, gorgeous dance of unity in Genesis 2 has now turned into World War III of conflict and control. But do not despair. There is hope. In Genesis 3, 14 and 15, God curses the serpent and condemns him to ultimate defeat via the future offspring of a woman from a woman, the lineage of Eve, where the Lord Jesus himself will come, our great Redeemer. This means that manhood and womanhood do not vanish. Christ comes in a man or woman, and what he does is he redeems this godly vision for male and female. He redeems it back. He buys it back. He comes into a man and woman, and he begins to show him what the blueprint looks like and then give him the power to build and live as the blueprint says. Where men love their wives like Christ loves the church. Where men give their life away for their wife. Where wives help their man and respect him as unto the Lord. Where singles are married to Christ spiritually as he lovingly leads and protects and provides for them. And together, they're on mission for the kingdom of God as male and female. There is great worth and value in who God has made us in men and women. Amen. So I want to take a turn here as we look for application in the closing minutes. Ways to respond to our strange new world. We do not need to rant and rage. Here's what Carl Truman again says. Every age has had its darkness and its dangers. The task of the Christian is not to whine or rant and rage about the moment 
in which he or she lives, but to understand its problems and respond appropriately to them. With intense self-examination, how are you and I to respond? Not only to what's going on in the, in the world, in this new strange world, but also what goes on to us in the incredible uh, inconsistencies of how we live as men and women. It is to look first in us. We think about Ephesians 2, 4, 7 that I put in your notes. But God being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our sins, to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. We, we think about God's incredible grace to us because the next passage I put, Romans 1, tells us that God gave them over to their desires and passions that men would exchange Behavior with men and women with women. And, and, and it says God gave them over, meaning they're, they're not struggling. They're all in on this ungodly life because God said, that's where you want to live. You won't listen to me, the creator. I'll give you exactly what you asked for. Folks, without the but God in Ephesians 2, you and I are given over. To our innate and ungodly desires. So four quick categories. Husbands. This is a time for us to think about my passivity or my domination. About how I love my wife. About how we're leading our home spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Are we engaged? Wives, as a co-equal heirs to life in Christ, how are you helping your man in God's mission for the family and the kingdom of God? Wives, how are you respecting your husband? Single men and women, how are you treating the opposite sex in person or what you look at on a screen? Are you treating them with honor as a fella? co-equal, image bearer of the living God, made male and female. And then I want to say this morning to those of you, and I know there are some, who struggle with same-sex attraction. I want you to know you are not alone in your struggle and fight against sin. Can everybody say amen? We have every person in here has ungodly desires and temptations that grab us. They feel like they're magnetic at times. And I want to say to you, you are safe here to struggle in that way. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead to the husband, to the wife, to the single, to the same sex attracted, to the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If he rose from the dead, he is fully capable of realigning your heart and mind to his view of male and female. It will be a fight like you cannot put into words. It will break you and humble you and make you cry out for help. It will make you lose your sense of status. But I'm telling you, it is a fight that can be won and is a fight worth fighting. There's a resource I'll give you two if you do struggle with same-sex attraction. One by Jackie Hill Perry called Good God, Gay Girl. 
and another one by Rosaire Butterfield that you can research. Both of these women full on affirming and now both married with kids. Godly, biblical transformation. Secondly, protest the culture by being good and godly citizens. Paul writes to Timothy, it's a pastoral epistle. What does it mean to be a pastor? Here's what a pastor says to a pastor. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, praying for our leaders of this country. That's how we respond. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. The way we protest as Christ followers, one of the profound ways is we live as God intended. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm living this way. And here's what God will do because the vast majority of people who do not see as God says, they really want what you want. So the inconsistencies become less. We are growing spiritually. Our spouses see it. We live faithfully. Thirdly, we contend for the faith. I don't have time to read the whole verse, but basically the writer of Jude says that we want, as believers, may... Mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. I like that. No problem, right? And then he says, so in light of mercy, peace, and love being multiplied to you, do what? Contend for the faith. It's a metaphor, if you would, for hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's a metaphor for wrestling. We contend for the faith by having those hard conversations we don't go passive and go under the ground, and we don't rant and rage. We speak very rationally and logically about the truth of God, about the work of God in our lives, and why when we live according to God's divine design, humans flourish. No matter what they say, no matter how they treat us, no matter whether they like us or not, we contend for the faith. And then lastly, remember Jesus wins in the end. I would encourage you to certainly look those verses up. Christ is coming back. And when he returns, here's what's going to happen. Every single knee will bow to him and worship. Every single mouth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And not only that, they will have to say that male and female, how you designed it was good and right and true, and I was wrong. For us who know Christ, we'll spend eternity with him. And for those who don't, they will acknowledge who he is and what he says is right. And then they will spend eternity away from him. So be encouraged. Jesus wins in the end. Here's what I want you to do for your so what. I want you to go to the intense self-examination part. And 
this was very convicting to me this week. Um, to continue to learn and grow how to relate to each other in a marriage, as a single, as struggles in areas of struggle in this area, we, we have lots of work to do. And it's difficult. But I want you to think about, and maybe here's the question that your spouse asked you this week. Go on a date, because I've done this, and I don't get good answers back a lot of times. How am I loving you as Christ loved the church? And then get your notebook out and listen to it. Just listen and say, Lord, help me relate to my spouse. Help me relate to male or female as Christ intended. Take a minute to look in that area and make very personal application. Stand with me if you would. <clears throat> oh, Lord Jesus, we come to you with great humility. If not for the but God, we too would not even know nor see how you have created male and female, how they are to relate to one another. And what that means in terms of the core foundation of your purpose and plan for life in the world and mission. And so we come to you grateful that you've let us see that. At the same time, we come, we want to come hungry to change. We have, we get this wrong so much, so many ways. Help us to see as we should all see in the areas of male and female and what that looks like. Grateful that our lives are uh, ordained by you, that you are at work in us, and help us live out as a community of faith, as Christ followers, right here at Fellowship Bible Church, this beautiful picture of male and female in life, in marriage, in parenting, and in the church. What a gracious God you are and how lost we would be without your word. We'll ask that in Christ's name. And everyone said...